Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. It's the, uh, you always tell when Chris is in charge of the bumpers. Man, little pop, little sizzle to it. Sounds good. Great to be with you today. Y'all set there, Chris? Ooh, Chris didn't answer. That's not good. Oh, the suit reappears. Ah. I'm surprised you're not pacing back and forth. Let's just say I'm in my own little world of depression right now. <laughs> Look, Jacksonville's better. They're better. You played them twice. And you stunk both at, times. And you played them at home twice. And stunk both times. They're better. Now, when you draft in the top five for ten consecutive years, you're eventually going to get better. <laughs> Okay? That's the way the league is supposed to work. They end up with Ramsey. You get Artie Burns. Listen, okay. here's, here's the question every Steeler fan is asking, Steve. And and I'm thinking, I'm actually putting the blame, believe it or not, not on the OC this time, but on Ben. I think Ben checked off on at least two of those fourth down calls. And instead of running the 6-5 quarterback that goes 240 lightly and leaning him forward for a first down like basically the Patriots would do every time they're on short yardage, he decided to check off to something wide, which is the wrong thing to do against a very fast defense. Well, it is, but you know what? I don't know if they do. How many times have you seen Ben quarterback sneak it in the last two years? He is 15 of 16 in his career on yeah, quarterback cor- sneak. Yeah, I want to know what he's done in the last two years. I don't no, remember I agree. him sneaking. No, you're right. I don't remember him sneaking the sneaking that often. Bill O'Brien told me that when he was the offensive coordinator of the Patriots, the first play they put in in training camp was the quarterback sneak every year. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I don't think he's quarterback. I don't think he's run the quarterback sneak in, in at least two years that I can remember. Yeah. And but a fourth and one. If you're going to do that, uh, you've got the big guy. Just just fall down, and you're going to get a three inches. I agree, but again, they singled up Brown. And I think Brown's injury, and Brown was phenomenal yesterday. It's phenomenal. Couldn't have asked for anything more from him. All right. But they also single covered him, and the domino was, now Ben's looking around going, wait a minute, they're not doubling Brown? I mean, usually it benefits somebody else, and he couldn't find who it benefited. Now, he threw it for 469 yards, but two of them, look, if you were to tell me the Steelers were going to get four chunk plays like they did yesterday, i tell you, they would crush that team. You realize that what they did, they got almost everything on chunk plays. And I believe, I mean, but Le'Veon Bell, I mean, yeah, but Fournette ran the ball well. Defensively, they played well. In the second half, Bortles played really well. I don't care what you say about, you can say what you want about Blake Bortles. He played pretty well in the second half. He did he exactly what he really needed to do. But and he, he didn't make, men- and he didn't make yeah. mistakes. He didn't make mistakes, but again, Jacksonville could get pressure with four. The Steelers could not get pressure on Bortles. Not a bit. No, I don't even could, think they had work. a hurry on him. I mean, so that was that was a big issue. And the Artie Burns problem is a gigantic problem. Okay, fourth quarter, game's on the line, got to get it done. Here, well, here. He, 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 he completely misread the deep ball over the middle when he had man coverage, and he lost outside leverage on the dump pass to Yeldon. Look at the first touchdown that Jacksonville scored. That was on a play fake. 
because they were running the ball quite have been running the ball quite well all year. They run a play fake after a couple of dink and dunks to the tight ends to the back out of the backfield. And then what do they do? They drop it over the linebacker who bit on the play fake to a wide open tight end in the end zone. This is where I think the Steelers in the second half of the season really missed Shazier. Shazier. Yeah. He had the ability to cover that tight end, cover the back out of the backfield, and if he was able to see a running play, could read and react yeah. to it quick enough. I don't think they have anybody else that could do that. Well, look at look at the play Puzzlesny made yesterday. He looked unreal. Right, right but he knocked, the, he knocked the ball down. Now, why did he knock the ball down? Because Puzzlesny has always done that since he was here at Penn State. And Jack Ham has talked about it repeatedly. The ability of a linebacker to drop into a zone and affect a pass play. Now, it turned out on that pass play, Pozlesny knocked the ball down. But, you know, linebackers who understand the proper depth that they're supposed to drop affect the passing game tremendously because now you have quarterbacks trying to throw it over that linebacker. Well, sometimes overthrowing that linebacker means you're overthrowing your receiver, and it also that's why you see safeties as center fielders get interceptions. A lot of that has to do with the linebacker drop. Because Lesney does that, there's no Steeler linebacker that really plays the pass well, in my opinion. All right, I, I got to go. This is depressing me. I got to go in my digital office and close the door. This is, I'm getting depressed again. Imagine how we feel when we see the numbers. All right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, those numbers yesterday in that game were very scary to me. <laughs> That's okay. We could be doing a talk show in New Orleans today. All right. The Pirates are have agreed in principle to try uh, to trade Andrew McCutcheon. Now, they've already dealt Garrett Cole for four prospects, so we bring in Chris Mack from the Pirates Network. Then the final half hour, Matt Leon, to talk about the Eagles. I did not pick the Eagles. I picked Atlanta. But I was rooting like crazy for the Eagles. I just I picked Atlanta because of the quarterback matchup. Hey, Nick Foles did a, really did a terrific job. We'll talk about that in the final half hour. Uh, but first, uh, Chris Mack, Pirates Radio Network. Chris, welcome. Where are you right now? Yeah, gentlemen, I'm sitting here uh, in a shopping center. Uh, on one side is Walgreens. On the other side is a state store trying to decide how to drown my sorrows and self-medicate <laughs> after yesterday's Steelers game. So. Yes, I can understand that. You are like others. But as I pointed out earlier, I said at some point there has to be a realization after playing them twice and both at home that maybe Jacksonville's better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, maybe not more talented, but certainly a uh, better coach. Yeah. All right, so now they make the deal with Cole. Um, what kind of return do you think they got? I have my opinion on the return they got. What's your opinion? Well, I, I think, look, the, the four guys they got, three are immediately major league ready. Um, and none of them are going to blow the doors off the place, but they're going to come in and they're going to serve. At third base, Moran will be an everyday player uh, or an almost everyday player. That's a big hole they wanted to fill. Um, showed a little bit of pop in Fresno last year, but that's the Pacific Coast League, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, you know, they get a couple of pitchers. Uh, Musgrove can work in the middle to back uh, end of the rotation and yep. could eat up some innings and, mm-hmm. and do it with some hit-to-contact kind of stuff. Uh, and then you get a guy who's got some potential for strikeouts at the back end of the bullpen as well in Feliz. Uh, and Martin will be a guy. You guys may have him in Al- Altoona this year um, yeah. or, you know, at least the start of the year and then maybe move on to Indy, but um, they're all the kind of guys, you know, everybody wanted them, myself included, 
to go out and get a name, you know, a Miguel Andujar, uh, if Cliver Torres wasn't available from the Yankees or Clint Frazier. Um, mm-hmm. There were plenty of names talked about from Houston. We talked about those uh, last week. But I think it boiled down to this franchise's overarching philosophy, which is the exact opposite of go big or go home. It is stay the course and play it right down the middle. So they got three or four guys who are going to be, you know, B, B minus, maybe C plus prospects or players over time rather than getting the one or two high risk, high re, uh, reward prospects like a Frazier or an Andujar or a Torres. And that's the way they do things here. They want, a, 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 as much as I or anybody else would like to see them go big one year, right? Uh, up the payroll to 140, 150 million, which would be astronomical <laughs> for them. Yes. Uh, and, and go all in, you know, make the deals at the deadline, get a David Price type move, which they avoided a couple of years ago, uh, and, and win a World Series. And then, yeah, if you've got to tear down and rebuild for four or five years, we'll deal with it because we've got a title, right? Uh, the Kansas City Royals uh, model kind of. Uh, or more accurately, the the Marlins model from back in the day. Uh, they're never going to do that. That, that. With Bob Nutting as their owner, they're just never going to do that. They're always going to be steady eddies. They're always going to want to bring just enough people to the ballpark that they can continue to clear just enough to uh, be a profitable business. And as long as that's the case, they're going to want to fill holes and play it safe, and they got a bunch of low-risk, low-reward guys in this deal. Uh, all right. Um, my opinion was that Moran, two years ago, was a really good prospect in their organization. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he's tailed off. Now, that doesn't mean he can't get it back again. Musgrove's a four or a five starter. Uh, Feliz, I mean, I've seen him pitch. I mean, he pitched the championship game against State College in 2013. And Chris, I mean, he has he has, he has the ability to have electric stuff. Right, um, right. So, I mean, I mean, he would have been included in that deal no matter what. And he'll help the Pirates. Now, somebody people say he might be a starter. I think in the majors, he didn't have enough pitches to be a starter. But you want a guy to pitch the seventh and eighth inning? He's got it. I think Martin's the right. best prospect of all. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, you know, maybe the one guy who you would look at with a little bit of a higher ceiling, you yeah. know, uh, and the one guy who they may have rolled the dice on a little bit more. Um, I, I agree with Moran that it, it seems like. You know, he's he's hit this lull. Some people have talked about his approach to the plate being different than it was when he was at his peak as a prospect, yeah. being almost too patient at the plate now. Um, we'll, we'll see how that may change or adjust when he comes right. over. But, I mean, he's, he's going to get the bulk of the, the plate appearances at third base. They're, they're going to plug trees back into a non-everyday role now that they have Moran. Right. Um, you know, he's a lefty, too, which is so I, – I, I hate to overplay this, but, you know, to hit in 70 games in Fresno, what was it, 16 or 18 home runs, I think it was? Yes. Um, so he's, he's got over a full season at AAA, granted, again, Pacific Coast League, where they all hit home runs. Mm-hmm. But he's got, you know, 35 to 40 home run potential there. So maybe he's a 20 home run a year guy, full season at the major league level. But he's also a big lefty bat. So yes. you put him in PNC Park, maybe you get an extra five home runs out of that because of the short porch in right field. And then as he's continuing to grow and learn as a hitter, Maybe you do plug freeze in there a couple of times a week if you're going up against a rotation with some really stiff lefty starters. Right. So they're going to ease him into the everyday role, but it will be his, I think, to have at the beginning of spring training. I think he's certainly he's the kind of guy that in this deal for Neil Huntington gives Huntington and the organization as a whole the ability to say, well, hey, 
we, we dealt we, we we didn't like dealing Derek Garrett Cole, but we can still compete. Look, we got our so we filled this hole and we filled that hole and we filled this hole. So and that's I think what what this was about for them when they realized they weren't going to get Gleyber Torres, they weren't going right. to you know if they were going to get Clint Frazier, they weren't going to get much else from the Yankees. Uh, they weren't going to get any of the top two or three prospects from the Astros system. So I think once that writing was on the wall for them, this is the way they had to go if they were set on dealing Cole before the start of the season. Chris, let's and before we uh, anybody out there looks at Garrett Cole and says he's the you know the second coming of Roger Clemens, he is not. Uh, <laughs> So when you look at what Cole has done the last two years, what did his on-field performance the last two years, did it do anything to tie the Pirates' hands when it came time to trade him? Oh, sure. I mean, you look at 16, and it was injury-plagued. So uh, you've got a couple of different injuries that played into that season not being a full year for him. And in 17, it, to give up over 30 home runs yeah. and to have never shown the proclivity for giving up long balls like that before, that I think is something that has to concern the Astros greatly. Now, they're not going to be using him as a number one starter. They've right. got Verlander. They've got Keuchel. They've got, they've got a deep rotation. They can plug him in at the three spot or the four spot. And if he, he runs into some bumps in the road because he's playing at a, a hitter's ballpark now in an American League lineup, uh, facing American League lineups, then, you know, maybe they unplug him for a start or two, and it's not the end of the world. There's not as much pressure on him. I think it's a great situation for him because he walks into a place where, to be honest, there's going to be very little pressure on him because they didn't give up high-end prospects. And I think at the same time, the Pirates probably got what most teams in Major League Baseball would have been willing to give. They weren't going to part with more than one, you know, top ten prospect or top five prospect, and they were going to be much more willing to give – like I said, B-level, C-level quantity over A-level quality. I think he's going to be fine in Houston for this reason. I felt he was fine in Pittsburgh as long as A.J. Burnett was there. Now, A.J. Burnett is not the greatest pitcher in the history of man, but he's a veteran who looked at himself as a number one, and Cole didn't have number one. Well, in Houston, he doesn't have to be the number one. they got a guy like Verlander that's already there. I think that actually helps him not being a number one. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've seen some things written over the last couple of days about how Garrett had started to mature and kind of grow into a bit of a leadership role. Um, I I don't want to say that's not true, but I I, I didn't see it as much. He was a good guy in the clubhouse, but he never got the sense that he was was an A.J. Burnett type who, if he was kicked off at someone, was going to walk up to him and take them to task. And that's something this team as a whole has been missing over the last couple of years. That's not a knock on Andrew McCutcheon. That's not a knock on Garrett Cole. They just don't lead that way. Um, and they don't have that sort of uh, that chop buster, you know, who's, who's going to walk up to you and say, what are you doing, man? I mean, you could see that in Burnett. He, he, held, he held guys' feet to the fire, mm-hmm. but he was also sort of a, you know, he was like the friendly uncle, right? So, you know, he, he would take them to task, but also be there for them as a sounding board when they needed it because he'd been through all that as a youngster as well in the Yankee system. So, uh, yeah, they, they've missed him greatly, not to overstate it. Um, I think Cole is, is going to learn a lot, to your point, from a guy like Verlander, who's been through the battles over the years. And I think that that will be good for him. That will help him. Uh, the question for the Pirates will be, do they have anybody in this clubhouse who's going to grab control of it and steer it in one direction or another? Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, it feels like, over the second half of last season kind of disengaged from that at times because right. I think he sees the writing on the wall as well that he's not going to be here forever. 
and I don't know if that's, again, necessarily his leadership style. Um, but they don't have anybody in that clubhouse, really, who's sort of the grab the bull by the horns, uh, you know, stand up in the middle of the clubhouse and address everyone and get everybody back on task and back on, uh, back on uh, the, the right path. Chris Mack from the Pirates Radio Network. Chris, thanks. Appreciate it. Andrew McCutcheon, by the way, within the last couple of minutes being dealt to the San Francisco Giants, but they haven't said who they're getting back yet. Let's see. It looks like, let's see, maybe Barry Bonds. Maybe. <laughs> uh, that would be an interesting trade. <laughs> Although I, I think it's a great pickup for the Giants uh, if he's healthy, as long as he's healthy. He'll play well there. That's a good place for him. To a point, to a point, we'll see what, I mean, I feel like McCutcheon's bat, everything for McCutcheon has slowed down. He doesn't run the bases like he used to. I've never really thought he was a great defensive outfielder. Um, never have. Uh, yeah, and it, his bat, I think, I give him credit because I felt like his bat kicked into another gear in the final four months of last season. Right, but in that lineup, he'll do much better because he won't. He will not need to be the guy. You got Hunter Pence, you got Buster Posey, you got Brandon Belt. They have a much better lineup than the Pirates have had in God knows how long <laughs> since McCutcheon's been there. He's been the guy. He won't be the guy in in San Francisco. Well, this is what the the uh, Giants have been looking to do because the Giants were they were trying to get in on Giancarlo Stanton. Yes, they were trying to make a move for a couple of other guys. And they finally now have Andrew McCutcheon. So now you have Cole and McCutcheon both going. Cole still had two years to go on this arbitration deal. McCutcheon was going into the last year of it. And the um, you knew they had to do something with McCutcheon. I think Cole, they were trying to get somehow max value for a guy that is the number one guy in Pittsburgh, Cole, but he's not the number one guy in any of the contenders. So Houston acquires him with the idea that for Houston, he's going to be probably their third starter. Yeah. Behind Verland oh, yeah. and, and Keuchel. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. McCutcheon's got more around him. Now, remember, people forget the Giants have also acquired Evan Longoria. Right. Wow, that's some lineup this year. So yeah. you look at you look at their lineup. Brandon Crawford, Hunter Pence, Brandon Belk, Avin Longoria, Buster Posey, Joe Panic, Andrew McCutcheon. Now you feel like they've closed a gap. Um on the Dodgers, yep. On the Dodgers. And the Diamondbacks. Remember that's closed the gap on them too. Oh, it's more now, about the Dodgers. <laughs> And we don't know yet, but we don't know what the Diamondbacks, you know, remember Colorado finished in front of them, too. Giants were bad last year. All in the same division. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet. Reagan Street in Sunbury. Excuse me, today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. <laughs> Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. 
Purdy's have served the Valley for decades. Why? Because they've been able to get their customers the right insurance that fits their needs and also the right price. They'll go through, especially with certain types of insurance where you can go over state lines, you can get insurance, they'll find it for you. And then if something happens to you, it's why you have insurance. It's why. They'll go to work for you right away as if it happened to them. They're your partner in this. Go to Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury, purdyinsurance.com. Great professionals over there. I stopped at Brewer's Outlet, and uh, I loaded up, and thankfully I didn't need my insurance company this weekend. So there you go. Good. It's all good. Well, you have insurance in case you need it there, I man. do. I do. Okay, play-by-play call the day we missed in the last half hour. We'll get it in here. Gee, I wonder what it might be. Pace on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Caught by Diggs. Stay oh, home. Got loose. oh, my God. Oh, my God. No way. Touchdown. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis no miracle. Stephon Diggs and the Minnesota oh, Vikings have lost up on the New Orleans Saints. It's a 61-yard Minneapolis miracle. I can't believe what I just saw, Paul What an unbelievable play. <laughs> what an unbelievable call. Yeah, great job. Great job. Uh <laughs> I feel ba- I, I feel bad for Marcus Williams. I really do. I feel bad for uh, Drew Brees, man. Seriously, Marcus Williams <laughs> was showboating like he was trying to light him up. I understand all no, the. Ar- no, I un- just no, Chris. No, 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 no. I understand all I, the talk I, about. I, I, how I think. Was- I, th- Go ahead. I think. He, I think he was trying to avoid a penalty, but I also think he was trying to hit him low to Come cut on. him down. To cut him down in bounds. I mean, I get. Give- I think he was. I mean, he just missed him, and I, I feel credit. awful for him. I give I give Diggs credit for staying on balance, in bounds, the whole thing. I mean, it was kind of it was a miracle play, but you need to stand up and wrap up. Don't lead with your head. Don't dive yeah, but, after someone. Come on, but, man. But Chris, that's how everybody tackles in the league. Oh no, that's he not did, an excuse. He, that's he not did an not excuse. do. He did not do anything. I have not seen every other DB do in the league. Not championship games. Championship they players all, don't do that. They all tackle that way. Championship players don't get toasted on the on the last play like that. That's bottom mm. line. I've seen a few of them in my lifetime get toasted. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Uh, I just feel badly for him because he, you know what, he's a really good safety. Pro Football Focus has him rated the 12th best safety in the NFL, even ahead of Malcolm Jenkins, and I think Jenkins is special. Well, he'll never let that happen again. I bet you that. You said you've seen people make tackles like that before or try. I don't. Th- I bet you he doesn't well, make that I, mistake again. It's hard playing DB today because where do you hit him? How do you hit him? When do you hit him? Um, I don't know. No, I, I think I, I think it, it's a real. But he just flat out missed him. He flat out. Missed him. He took the wrong angle and he missed him. God, I mean, God. I mean, I mean, he missed him clean. I'd rather take a. I'd rather take a. Pa- I, I, the, the theory that I kept hearing or the argument was that he didn't want to take a pass interference. And I'm like, you take a pass interference. It's again. It's the same thing as the Steelers too. You don't do the onside kick. You kick it off. You let. Bortles beat you. It's the same thing here. You let the kicker beat you, especially with the horrors that have gone on in Minnesota in past history with game-winning field goal attempts. Are you joking me? Gary Anderson, arguably one of the greatest kickers of all time, choked with like a 22-yard field goal. You you take that chance. I I would have lit. I would have given him a face mask and the whole thing. There's no way you let him get behind you. No well, they ran, way. They, they ran triple level. They had one receiver to the far side. I think it was Thielen was to the far side. 
right? And uh, Keenum looked that way, but see, then they had triple level. It was Buffalo seven heaven. It was the call, and so they they ran uh, Kyle Rudolph down between five and ten. They were all all the routes, by the way, were sideline routes. Every one of them was sideline routes. Nobody over the middle. Uh, Rudolph, they ran him down seven to ten sideline. Boom. Uh, they took uh, the slot receiver, ran him down twenty sideline, and then they ran uh, Diggs twenty five. Boom. They ran triple level on the sideline, and Williams came up. I mean, Williams was the deep help. He, fly, he missed him. It's it's sad, and I feel you feel bad for Williams, and that's all well and good. I feel sick for Drew Brees because I said it on Friday and I, I, if they would have went to the Super Bowl and they would have won, Brees would have retired. He would have pulled the John Elway or the Peyton Manning. He would have retired. He's 39 years old today. Today's his birthday. It's the saddest day of his year right now. I guarantee it. I mean, that's horrifying. He he led arguably the greatest comeback in in playoff history and he didn't lose the game. Like, he didn't even have a chance. Sad. Well, the Vikings now get the Eagles, and the Eagles won on Saturday as the underdog. With that, we bring in Matt Leon, KYW Philadelphia. Welcome, sir. Glad to be with you. That, I thought that was just a pros-pros effort all the way through. I thought the the Eagles played that game like a group of very confident professionals. What did you think? No, I agree. I think they overcame a couple of early mistakes. They uh, got a couple of breaks. That went their way, but defensively they uh, did a great job against an Atlanta offense that I think showed the problems they had during the regular season were magnified uh, on Saturday. But uh, no, they they played like a team that had been there before. Fletcher Cox and Malcolm Jenkins, uh, who fall into the category of what I just talked about, it looked to me like they played special games on Saturday. What what about their performance? No, they were, I mean, Fletcher Cox is very <laughs> difficult to handle. Even the amazing thing is when you see the up close and you see when he gets double teamed and he still is able to make the play. Uh, they completely really eliminated Devontae Freeman. I know he had the one touchdown on the, the broken play, pass play, but as a running back, they completely eliminated him, and not many teams have done that. Tevin Coleman got his, but uh, I think a big reason why they, he struggled uh, in the run game was the play of Fletcher Cox. And, you know, Malcolm, you know exactly what you're going to get with Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, he's a leader on that defense. He's an incredibly consistent presence in that defensive backfield and two big reasons why the Eagles are still playing football. Nick Foles, uh, what, how did you look at his performance on Saturday? Um, early on, not good. I thought the uh, the first quarter or so, uh, you kind of were like, oh boy, you know, this kind of looks like uh, the evil Nick Foles that we saw against Oakland. Uh, but I'll tell you what, that drive right before the half, specifically when uh, he got that break on that ball that the, the Falcons defender kicked and Torrey Smith caught, uh, and then he throws the pass to Alshon Jeffrey that gets them the, the long field goal right before the half. I almost feel like that helped settle him in, really. And, uh, you know, that second half, he led them on some long drives. He, uh, because they didn't really run the ball that effectively in the second half. Early on, Jay Ajayi was uh, the main reason, you know, their main uh, offensive mm-hmm. weapon. But uh, Atlanta kind of took away the run in the second half, and I thought Nick Foles was the big reason why they were able to move the football to get the uh, two field goals that really decided the game. 
Interesting, though, is that uh, they do have the veteran that has been there before. What about LeGarrette Blunt in what Chris Collinsworth correctly referred to as the closer's role? Yeah, no question about it. And he got the touchdown on a fourth and goal play. Uh, I would expect to see his role increase as we get deeper here. I think uh, the running game is going to become more and more important uh, for as long as the Eagles uh, play football. I think Jay Ajayi is the clear number one, but I think Blount, Blount in that closer's role and uh, as a goal line guy will uh, play a big part going forward. All right, so now they get through that one, and uh, look, they were motivated by the underdog part. And I'm not really all that crazy about the dog masks, but that's fine, you know, whatever you think works. Um, what did you think of the offensive lines play during the game? Because I thought they gave Foles a pretty good time. Yeah, no, I thought they, they played well. There were a couple plays. Uh, I think it may have been one of the, the screen to Ajayi that went for about 32 yards, and you see Stefan Wisniewski get out yeah. and get two blocks to, to really, really uh, clear the roadway. Uh, and that's what they, you know, they've got Wayne Johnson, and we all know what he can do as one of the, the best, uh, you know, tackles in football. But their interior guys, Brooks, Kelsey, uh, and Wisniewski are very athletic, have the ability to, to really get to that second level, uh, specifically Kelsey. You see some plays where Kelsey can can really get out of the center, and he just has mobility that is kind of freakish uh, for the center position. Uh, you know, the offensive line, you know, losing Jason Peters was obviously a big blow, and Halapoli Vati Vaitai has uh, had some moments that have made you cringe. But uh, for the most part, that, that offensive line is uh, – you know, been very consistent, and I think it's a big reason why they're still here. All right, so what about the matchup with the Vikings? You had a chance to watch them some yesterday. What do you think about the pure matchup part of it? I think I'll take the under. I think points, <laughs> will, be, points will be at a premium uh, on Sunday, and that's more of a credit to the defenses than it is a knock against the offenses. Uh, I just think, I, I think a 15-10 type score that we saw in that Falcons game is very possible here. Uh, you know, I mean, Vikings looked great for two and a half quarters, and then they couldn't get out of their own way, and then they win it on a, you know, a play that is going to be the opening of highlight films for the next 30 years. Uh, you know, I, I don't look at Case Keenum as a backup quarterback anymore. Uh, I think Case, Case Keenum has a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback now it's just a matter of whether he's going to be in minnesota long term or if he's going to end up somewhere else uh no the running game is solid i think octavius murray is a little underrated if anything i'll tell you the guy who i think uh might give the eagles fits is mckinnon the other yeah. running back i think especially in the passing game you get him space uh he is a he is a guy that can be a a game changer uh, they're, you know, uh, their wide receivers are very good. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get to this point and have, you know, right. many weaknesses. Uh, I honestly think uh, the way the teams are playing right now, as far as who's available, I think Minnesota is about a half step better on both sides of the ball, and I would probably lean the arrow a little bit towards Minnesota, maybe 55-45 or 60-40. Uh, but I think this one's pretty much uh, going to be a toss up, and it's probably going to come down to one or two. Big plays, plays like the, the you know the fact that the Eagles were able to overcome the muffed punt yeah. uh, against the Falcons because yeah. that's usually the type of play that decides a you know a playoff game against even teams. It's something like that that you can't predict or can't kind of put into the uh, the analysis when you're breaking down the matchup. What does home field mean? I think it means a lot. I think uh, it can't you know 
I think it means a lot. When the Eagles have had home field for some NFC Championship games in the past, I there was a part of me that almost felt like it wasn't not a detriment, but there was so much pressure for the Eagles to win those games. You know, you can think back to that Buccaneers game and that Panthers-NFC Championship game because uh, it was anticipated. They're supposed to do it. They, they didn't do it last year. They haven't done it the last two years. Now they have to do it now. And you could feel, I think, that pressure uh, building, building. This is really uh, – people are just hungry and excited. There is no real pressure like that uh, to, to, to kind of exercise ghost pass. I mean – this is this run has come out of nowhere. If you think back to August, I remember telling you I thought eight and eight yeah. was, uh, and I think most people were in that ballpark, seven and nine to nine and seven. Uh, so the fact that you're talking about knocking on the door of a Super Bowl, uh, I don't think anyone anticipated that, and I think that that lends itself to just a lot of excitement. So my point, short story turned long is I, I think the fact the type of ride this has been, I think home field advantage will really help them uh, on Sunday. But I also think home field advantage is really, really effective probably the first two possessions either way. And then I think for the most part, games tend to kind of settle into their own type of yeah. rhythm. What uh, Final question. What's this? You touched on it some, but what's this done for the city? Oh, it's been a lot of fun. It really... There, there's never, there's no run like a run that comes out of nowhere. Right. You know, I, I think back to when the, you know, when the Phillies first won the division in 2007, uh, that that started that run of, of success. Uh, you know, that I, was the I, looked, down. I, I look at last year in Penn State going to the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, you know, there's there's cause there's no expectation, there's no pressure. Every year, it's fun. You're just appreciating everything for what it is. Uh, so that is, it's been a, a genuinely fun ride here. You know, you've got to, there is a certain segment of the fan base that continually waits for the other shoe to drop and you just kind of deal with that because that's how this city is wired. But, uh, but for the most part, it, it's been a lot of fun. And it's been a lot of fun also because it's very easy to look at this and say, while you never know, you know, the best laid plans don't always lead to the success you hope, they are built to have success here for the next four or five years, especially if Wentz can stay healthy. So I think a lot of people are, it, you're looking at the front, at the first lap of a ride, and you're looking at it with a team that's an ascending team. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement surrounding that. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy the game this weekend. Will do. Thank you. That'll be the second game on Sunday. The opening game after 3 o'clock will be the Patriots and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if I'm Doug Marone, I'm having long conversations with a guy who's not my coach. And that is Tom Coughlin, who seems to somehow understand how to beat the Patriots in big games. He seems to be the one guy that seems to understand it. We will come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. A lot of things will change over the next six years. But not the interest rate on your new Kia. In 2024, you'll still be at 0%. Zero percent. In 
fact, your interest rate will stay at 0% for more than six years. 75 months. Come into Sunbury Motors Kia now for 0% financing for up to 75 months on 2018 Kia Fortes, Optimus, Sportages, and Serenos. See for yourself why Kia offers America's best value. With an industry-leading 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and the highest brand ranking in J.D. Power's initial quality test for the second straight year. Plus now, make no payments for three months and get 0% financing for up to 75 months. Value is back at Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Offers available to qualified buyers who came up financing in lieu of rebates. Offer expires 13118. Warranty limited powertrain warranty. For details, you retailer or go to Kia.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit JDPower.com. See dealer for details. All right, it's great to have you with us. One thing I did, one thing I did not comment on, and have not commented yet on today, is the passing of Keith Jackson. Uh, obviously, the last time I talked to him was at the Rose Bowl last year. Uh, I want to say it was at halftime of the game, and I saw him in the hallway. There are only uh, two announcers that I've ever walked up to and told him, quote, it was an honor to to talk to them. And one was Kay Ledford from Kentucky, hmm. and the other was Keith Jackson. Kay Ledford was a great, great basketball announcer, good football announcer, too. Never heard of him, honestly. I'm going to have to go uh, look that up. He is uh, he's legendary in Kentucky. And uh, let me put it this way. The memorable game between Duke and Kentucky where Rand Hill threw the ball the length of the floor. Oh, the Leitner game. Leitner caught at the foul line, put on the floor once, and then shot and scored. In Philadelphia, right? Yes. That was Kayward Ledford's last game as the Kentucky announcer. Oh, wow. He was retiring. And Mike Krzyzewski, before he went over to do the national TV and before he went over to do his interview on the Duke radio network, stopped by and talked to Kayward Ledford first and told him what an honor it was that he broadcast that game. That's all you need to know right there. All right. And so that's why – and then Keith Jackson was the other one. Keith Jackson could do anything. Wide world of sports, a wide variety of things. Major League Baseball, that was a heck of a baseball announcer. Was terrific on the NBA for years. Uh, college basketball. Monday Night Football, USFL. But, of course, college football was his signature. He was himself on the air. Great great sense for the moment. Great way in which he used his own personality to draw out a name or understand what to say at a particular time. I mean, none of that's what Keith Jackson did is taught in a broadcasting school, except he was prepared for everything. He also developed really good relationships with people over the years. One area that he was unfairly criticized for, and I will defend him forever on this, he was doing the Gator Bowl game in 1978 where Woody Hayes, after Charlie Bauman, picked off a pass and you know, it was a 17-15 game. Clemson was winning. And so Ohio State's trying to drive down for a potential game-winning field goal. And Bauman picked off the pass. He got to the sideline. When he got there, Woody Hayes slugged him. 
Now, Woody Hayes slugging him with full equipment on is like a, is like brushing off a gnat. But a head coach hit a player from the opposing team. They caused both benches to clear. Keith Jackson was criticized, along with Eric Parsegan, who was working the game with him that night, for not saying anything about it. Well, there's a reason he never said anything about it. He didn't see it. And ABC, because it was the Gator Bowl right, in 1978, didn't have the cameras to capture everything. So they didn't have a replay to show it at the time. And Keith Jackson did something that I thought was an invaluable lesson that should have been taught. He was, he was by the way, criticized for loving the game so much he would not criticize Woody Hayes. And the guys in the truck kept telling him, Woody hit him, Woody hit him. But Keith Jackson never saw it. And Eric Parsegan never saw it. Don't talk about things that you don't see. If you don't see it, how can you comment on it? Because everything happened on the sideline. And so it, you're looking down, you don't see it. And ABC didn't have a replay of it.